I'm reading from Colossians 1, 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Uh, this morning what I wanted to do is just uh, give you a sermon message on encouragement to pray. Encouragement to pray. And uh, just to remind you to uh, keep praying and uh, to give you some help in what you should be praying. And uh, one of the uh, little acronyms I always use is ACTI. And if you remember ACTI, you remember the parts of your prayers that should be part of a good prayer life. A-C-T-S-I. A-C-T-S-I. Those are the elements of a good prayer life. Adoration, A. Confession, C. Thanksgiving, T. Supplication, S. Intercession, I. Now, I'm not going to talk any more about those, but... Uh, that, that should be what you think of when you think, what should be involved in my prayer life? What are the things I should be doing? You should be adoring God, praising Him, adoration, confession. Here's where I have fallen short. Here's how I have sinned. Thanksgiving. We've got a lot to be thankful for. And uh, when you're not giving thanks, that's, that's when you're really uh, not godly at all. So thanksgiving, supplication, that's now asking him for things. We're usually good at that. <laughs> I probably don't even have to tell you that one. We're probably good at asking for things for ourselves. And then finally, intercession, that is when I'm now praying for somebody else. They really need help in their life, and I'm going to step in and I'm going to intercede for them whether it's someone who doesn't know the Lord, and so you intercede on their behalf and say, Father, please do something to open up their eyes and open up their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the five elements of prayer. Uh, what I wanted, the first thing I wanted to cover, though, is we need to pray for God. Number one, pray for God. You're probably going, that sounds weird. What do you mean, pray for God? We should be praying for God. And I'm going to give you a scripture passage in just a second. Let me, let me just give you a, an example. When Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father, heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy... Stop right there. Those are three prayers for God. When I say pray for God, that's what I mean. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be reverenced and may your name be respected and may your name be treated as holy. 
That's a prayer for God. You're praying for God. Thy kingdom come. We're praying for him. Thy will be done. Okay, it's interesting that in Jesus' prayer, three of the requests are for God and three of the requests are for us. Be a nice balance to our prayer lives. Probably, though, you don't pray for God very often. Start doing it. <laughs> I do it every Sunday. If you listen to my prayers, I almost always pray, Father, magnify your Son. Lift up Jesus Christ. Magnify Jesus in our city. Praying for God. Right? We should be doing that. Uh, scripture passage I have for that is 1 Kings 18. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. If not, you can just listen. 1 Kings chapter 18. You all know the story. Elijah on Mount Carmel. We're going to start in verse 19. Elijah speaking to Ahab, the wicked king. He says, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. He said, surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. It's, it's interesting that uh, Elijah sets up this contest. He sets it up on Mount Carmel. And uh, Mount Carmel, uh, the name means the Garden of God. The Carm, Garden, El, God. 
the garden of God. And El is the name of Baal's father. Okay, that's just the Canaanite word for God. That's the name of Baal's father. And so here, this is as good as it gets for the prophets of Baal. <laughs> You're up on a mountain. The mountain's named after your God. It's a, it's a beautiful place. It's sacred for you. And you get, you get all day to pray. And they do. They pray all day. And finally, Elijah starts to get a little funny with them. Maybe you need to be louder. After all, he's a god. He's got stuff to do. He's busy. Maybe he's deep in thought. <laughs> got to capture his attention. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's on a trip. Um, in Canaanite uh, religion, uh, for a long time, we never knew what they believed. And finally, we discovered a town and, uh, called Ugarit. And in Ugarit, we, we discovered all of their, a lot of their manuscripts and a lot of their writings and uh, translated it from the language of Ugarit. And we found out about Baal. And uh, actually, Baal was killed. And Baal went to the underworld, to the place of the dead. But the problem is, is that Baal was the rain god. Baal was the rain god, and he was in charge of thunder and lightning, so he made everything grow. And uh, so one of the other gods actually went to the realm of the dead and said, listen, you're not going to get any more dead people if Baal's here. You've got to let them come back up here and reign. Otherwise, no more dead are coming. And so the God of the dead let Baal come back up. And Baal would come up for six months of the year. He would make things grow. And then he would go to the realm of the dead for six months. That's why they have to yell so loud. Maybe he's in the land of the dead. And he can't hear you. A God that can't hear you and a God that is dead and a God, a God that you have to find, that's really no God at all. As I was thinking about this, and I've talked about this before, it bothers me when people pray to Mary. Here's why. Mary is limited because she's a human being. And she always will be. Um, when I'm watching television, let's say I'm watching a football game, and Joanne says something to me. I don't hear her. Because I can, only hear, I can only hear the football game. One thing at a time. Right? And uh, that's a man, right? One thing at a time. We can do one thing at a time. Now a woman, she can knit, watch TV, and have a conversation. <laughs> do three things at once. But even a woman can't do too many things at one time. Maybe three, maybe four, a man one. And maybe when we're glorified and we have a glorified body, maybe at that point, maybe we'll be able to do five or six things at one time. But we, we will always be limited. God is infinite. You will never be God. You will never be infinite. You will always be finite. That's why you can't pray to Mary. She can maybe hear, you know, even, even if she could hear the prayer, maybe one at a time or two or three. The rest of them, 
too bad. She's not God. And Elijah's saying, listen, your God is limited. Man, you've got to wake him up. You've got to shout louder. And so they shout louder and they dance and they cut themselves, anything to get their God's attention so that he will answer them. And of course, there's no answer coming because he's not really God. And then it's Elijah's turn. Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran, ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now the Bible doesn't tell us why he does that. I think he does it just so there's, not, there's no trick involved. Either God is going to do something here there's nobody's going to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. Nobody's going to be able to be ten rows back in the crowd and say, you know something, we saw fire, but we don't know what it was. There's going to be no doubt. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that, those, that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. That is a prayer for God. The fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate, prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What an answer to prayer. But did you notice the prayer? He prays that the Lord God will answer so that the people will know that He is God. And then He says, And that they will know that you are turning their hearts back. Again, praying for God. I think those are the kind of prayers we need to be praying. Father, we need you to show yourself so that people will know that you are God. Father, we need you to heal people, but heal them so that they know that you are God. And Father, we need you to turn people back, turn, turn hearts back, but only if they know and that they know that you are the one that, that is turning their hearts back. Praying for God. Like Jesus said, may your name be reverenced, your kingdom come, and your will be done. So encouragement number one, let's pray for God. Encouragement number two, let's pray for people. This is the passage that's in your bulletin today. I was going to hope to cover three passages. We're not going to cover three passages. What should I be praying for for other Christians? 
Now, in my notes, I wrote this. I said, if I'm going to pray for Gene Riley this week, what should I pray for? Gene? Okay, so think of this as how to pray for Gene Riley. <laughs> Actually, this is how to pray for any Christian. Okay, what should I be praying? This is a model prayer that the Apostle Paul gives us. These are Christians he has never met. He's just heard about them. And so this is what he prays for them. Verse 9, Colossians 1. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A wonderful model prayer for Christians. Notice the big request, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit, or all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with the knowledge of his will, engrossed with God's will. Why is that such a big request? And why should we be praying for that for other Christians? That's so that we can live for God. God wants us to live for him each and every day. Pray filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom, spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is skill in living. Almost everything we do in life is a skill. Yesterday, Doug Doran was in my garage cutting a piece of wood. I'm glad Doug was there. He has skill with wood. <laughs> Who knows what I would have done with it? <laughs> We, need, we needed somebody with skill to do it. Almost everything in life, though, is a skill. Raising children, it's a skill. Sometimes you're terrible at it. Sometimes you need to read a book. Sometimes you have to ask somebody. Sometimes you need some encouragement. But it's something you work at and you get better at. It's a skill. Making friends is a skill. Going to work and getting along with coworkers is a skill. All of almost everything you do in life is a skill. And the way we live our lives, we need wisdom to live it for God. It doesn't happen automatically. It's things that you've got to work on, you've got to think about, and we need his help to do it. How does God want me to live with my neighbor? And what should I be doing with my neighbor? Right? Being a good neighbor, that's another skill. So Paul's request is that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that we know how to live life in spiritual wisdom and understanding. He expands on that. And he's got four little phrases to expand on this skill in living. First of all, bearing fruit in every good work. God wants us as Christians to be productive and fruitful in good deeds. Some of the good deeds take place in your own house with your spouse, your children, your parents, 
Those are good deeds that you're, you, you, you've got to do them. And some of those good deeds take place out of your house. But as a Christian, your life should be full of these good deeds. Full of productivity for Jesus Christ. Um, remember what Jesus told us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Right? So we, we should be fruitful in every good work, but one of the purposes of being fruitful in every good work is that God gets the glory. And if we're being fruitful in every good work so that we get the glory, that's not spiritual wisdom. So fruitful. Notice another way he expands on this. Growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. I encourage you sometime to talk to Don Eastman and ask him his testimony about getting sick and having a bad back and what God taught him by having a bad back, losing a marriage, losing a job, and the way God revealed himself to Don. He grew in the knowledge of God, not just knowledge about God, right? God's a trinity. Do you know that? How many of you heard that before? <laughs> Okay, that's knowledge about God. I mean, knowing God. When times are tough and God comes into your life and you grow closer, growing in the knowledge of God. Third, being strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. So I need strength in my life so that I can handle difficult things. That's endurance and handle difficult people. That's patience. Peter DeGraff, where are you? Have, you? have you run a marathon, Peter? Did you train, did you train at all for that? <laughs> you have to train for a marathon, right? Because you've got to have endurance. It just doesn't, this doesn't happen. The Christian life also involves endurance because difficult times will come your way that you have to endure. It will happen to you. I don't like saying that because I haven't had a lot of bad things yet. I know it's coming. But endurance. You've got to keep going even though there's opposition and it's difficult. Just like Peter had to train for his marathon because otherwise his heart would not be strong enough and his lungs would not have the capacity and his muscles would not be ready for it, and his blood cells would not even be ready for it, so you have to train. So we need God's power so that we can put up with difficult situations and so that we can put up with difficult people. And if you don't have God's power, do you know what you do with difficult people? You know what I think most of us do? We write them off. That's a difficult person. I'm cutting that out of my life. I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to spend time with them. I'm not going to be around them. We need the power of God so that we can have patience with people. Um, the Greek text, it's patience with joy. It's hard to know if the joy goes with the next section or this one. Usually it goes with this one. Patience with joy. Not only do I put up with people, I enjoy it. I hope you can enjoy everybody. That's the strength of God in your life when you can enjoy a difficult person. 
and not cut them off. And finally, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father is part of this Christian life that we should be living, always thanking God, always rejoicing in what He has done. And now this is a prayer for Gene Riley, but not just for Gene. It's also for Sam Carr, right? It's for Doug Doran. It's for all of us, how we should be praying for each other. We have this spiritual strength to live for God. And why should you always be thanking for God? Look, thanking, thankful to God. Look what He has done for you in verses 12 and 13 and 14. Giving thanks to the Father, and He just wants to give you a little snippet. Here's why you're giving thanks. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I love that. You know what? You know Abraham. He's got an inheritance from God. I've got a, I've got as much a share as Abraham. God did that. David has got an inheritance from God. Well, so do I. Peter has got an inheritance from God. So do you. He has qualified us. He is the one who has made us sufficient. Be thankful for that. God did it for you. Or look at verse 13, what He has done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, brought us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He did it. Transferred us. Joanne and I just, uh, we had to get visas to go to Uganda. And now you just do it on the Internet about uh, two weeks before you go. You send away. You send in U.S. money. And uh, the next day, your visa comes. And you print it off. That fast. They do a criminal search on you, and uh, you're allowed to go to their country. Now, I have heard the most important thing is the $50 U.S. That kind of that that rubber stamps the thing pretty quick. But in order to get in another country, like, you've got to go through all these processes, and you've got to do something to get in. Well, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, God puts you in that kingdom. God does it. He transfers you from one kingdom to another. And then notice what else. He transfers us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. And you ask me, what is redemption? He tells you, the forgiveness of sins. That's being redeemed. God forgives you your sins. Wow. You should be thankful all the time. We can always be thankful. We always have these things. These are guaranteed. They can't be lost for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. So what are you praying for? Let's expand our prayer lives. Number one, to pray for God. And number two, let's pray for other Christians so that they can have these spiritual lives that are pleasing to God.